Hello and welcome to The 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Andy. And this week we're doing something a bit interesting. We're talking about Mary and Max, Adam Elliott's 2019 clayography uh, film documenting the... 2009. 2009, did I, what did I say? 19. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you might have just seen it. <laughs> I may have done it. Then that's For Darren, it's a 2019 <laughs> film. Uh, but yes, it is a 2009 uh, clayography film directed by Adam Elliott, documenting the friendship between an eight-year-old girl and a 44-year-old man separated by half the world. It is a remarkable piece of work, and joining us to discuss it is the wonderful Andy Hazel. How are you, Andy? Really, really well. Thank you very much for having me. I know, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, listeners may remember Andy from the 18-Hour Twin Peaks podcast that we did um, back in March, uh, and it was an absolute thrill to have him on there. We had a bit of a hiccup, and I'm kind of it's a huge embarrassment for the show, because it's the first episode we actually lost, which was when we were talking with you about evil. But it was a really great discussion. It was quite late in the... It was about 3 a.m. in the morning, and it really gave us sort of a new leaf on life. If people didn't catch it late... Sorry, if people didn't catch it live, it's really their own fault. If they weren't up at 3 o'clock in the morning... <laughs> listening live. Listening to, well, maybe they don't deserve to. Oh, okay. But we would like... <laughs> To have, have uh, that, maybe somebody was recording it for us. Um, yeah, there'll be bootlegs circulating online. We, sh- we should probably say we're eating pizza, right? Oh, we are indeed. Um, we are re- recording and we're sort of eating as we're recording. So if you do so hear the sounds like of mastication, that, you're welcome. Yeah, mm-hmm. ambient ASMR sound in the background. But Andy, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. I, mean, I don't think it's just coincidence that's the only hour of f- um, a podcast you've ever lost. <laughs> it just happens to be about the evil in Twin Peaks and the way it manifests so. in different yeah. mediums. I think yeah. what we said was too astute. Um, that, like yeah, you couldn't get out yeah it does exactly. have to be silenced yeah. um, I did like that somebody else pointed out that at least now we have our own missing pieces as well yes um, <laughs> but uh, no Andy um, thank you very much you were actually this kind of worked out very serendipitously as well because you were in Ireland at the moment obviously yes um, recording live and you're sort of you're on your way to the Cannes Film Festival as yes. well yes is... yeah well I had the opportunity and I was like well, I would be an idiot if I didn't go to Dublin on the way to Cannes and yeah thank you and it, it's fantastic and when you were in in Dublin uh, we were actually thrilled to have the chance to talk with you about this. Yeah, yeah. It just all kind of really came together beautifully, I thought. Um, and basically, listeners who have listened to the podcast will have known earlier in the week, you actually recorded an interview with Adam Elliott, uh, which yes. we should probably mention as well. Which So it will be in your RSS feeds if you're listening. It's a remarkable interview. Um, Thank you. Really yeah, it was a real privilege to be able to get a chance to talk to him because there's still just so many questions. I mean, whether you, even if you haven't seen this film, a lot of people will be like, what's been happening in the last right. decade? Because it is pretty much like 10 years to almost to the month since the film came out. It, it now is that indeed. we're talking about it. He mentions as well, it's the 10th anniversary. Mm. It opened Sundance in January and then it got a wider release, I think, in Australia around about June, In July. April it yeah, came out in April, Australia, yeah. but I think it was a little later. Um, particularly in the UK. And, and a few, yeah. few other territories which ever, ever, ever screened it, as yeah. you'll find out in the interview. And, and the Shores, did that come out? Is, is Harvey Crumpet? Yeah. That was a little earlier, 2007? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or maybe and, even earlier. And won the Oscar as well for it, which is remarkable. It's a remarkable piece of work as well. Yeah. Yeah. But we had a treat. We got to we got to watch both actually. Yeah. Um, and again, this is interesting because it's one of the movies that probably has. Uh, it's one of the rarest movies on the two fifty in terms of distribution. In terms of to watch this, myself and Andrew had to find a Blu ray copy that was sold in Germany. Right. Um, like we were watching. It's so strange. Like I've seen this on television. Yeah. I, w- I was thinking like this. This movie is terrific, and it's not a surprise that it's on the. 250 Sorry, I shouldn't give too much away <laughs> yeah <no. laughs> I suppose you haven't asked yet yeah, but but, uh, but, uh, but no it's just the kind of um, it was shocking to me that 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 like I knew it was a little bit kind of um, uh, you know uh, off kilter or sort of yeah, like outside of left field or, yeah, yeah. 
but um i would have expected it would be something that there would be a strong kind of like a um cult following and a distribution for yeah well it's remarkable in this day and age that we've reached a stage where like home media you know is no longer you can have movies that are hard to find on on home media but are still like seen by so many people i think yeah, all, yeah. and it's really interesting Bizarre. Yeah, I had, to, I had to hire it, I think, um, or rent it off yeah. iTunes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But, um, Andy, so what we normally do when we have guests on is we ask them for, like, a list of films that they want to talk about, they want to discuss with us. And they normally come back, and we're always very eager to do that. We asked you for a couple of films to, that you want to talk about, and I think you mentioned some that we covered already. I think Your Name, mm. for example. Oh, I really want to talk about Your Name. Oh, my uh, God, it's such a good film. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned Mary and Max was one mm. of the ones that jumped out to you. What is it about Mary and Max, just very roughly, like, very abstractly, for listeners who haven't seen the film... What was it that sort of like that you loved about it? That well, I, I looked through the list and I thought, what, what, what am I best matched to talk about? And I was like, well, the only two Australian films in that list, I think, are Mad Max Fury Road and Mary and Max. And I thought, well, I kind of know Adam Elliott. You know, he's a neighbour of a friend of mine. So I could probably, I thought, you know, I could probably do this pretty good job with this. And so since I feel like it's a very Australian film, and I'll, this is something I'll get into a bit later when we talk about the film and Adam, um, I thought, well, this is just great. And I can line up an interview. And so it yeah. all just kind of came together. And we talked about this on the podcast before where it's, it's always good when myself and, and Andrew are the two least qualified people in the room. Because we're always the two least qualified <laughs> people in the room. But it's always a good thing to have somebody else who knows what they're talking about. So thank you very much, Andy. Oh, most welcome. Yeah. All do, right. you, do you mean if it's just us in the room, <laughs> yeah. we're the two we're, we're, least yeah. qualified people? We're also speaking. the two most qualified. <laughs> yeah, you'll notice, <laughs> I didn't, you'll notice I didn't stress that. Um, but uh, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the film in a bit more depth in spoiler zone. But before we do, we normally ask three questions just to get the ball rolling. For listeners who maybe haven't seen Mary and Max. Mm. Um, so first question is right do you think that this movie belongs on the list the imdb's list of the top 250 movies of all time uh that's a tough one it's this is one of the reasons i wanted to talk about it actually it really sticks out on this list it's a really unusual choice it's like not that popular a film but the people who have seen it tend to absolutely passionately love it and so i almost like put my journalist hat on i was like why is this happening like who are these people what's going on like they must they must have had to try to see it because it wasn't everywhere it was barely anywhere when it came out um, and so I think, in a way, uh, yes, it does because I think it covers so many bases that not very few other films in this um, in this list touch. There's just so many interesting issues. It's such an unusual creation and a way of telling the story as well. Mm, like the yeah. story it's telling and the way it's telling it is is kind of relatively unique as well. But Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, I I I I feel like it's it does deserve to be on the two fifty, and I'm glad it is. Because, because it, yeah, as uh, as as you said, Andy, it's 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 not a uh, normal kind of a movie, and it probably deserves to be seen by um, by more people. So, a wider yeah, audience, yeah. It's good yeah. that it kind of. I, I think I it, suppose would, it would be a exposure. more boring list without it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like yeah. we we talk a lot about kind of how some of the movies can be very kind of like skewed towards kind of um certain demographics and perspectives exactly. and genres and types kind of, of like american movies yeah. for uh, men in their 30s yes <laughs> yes um, well i mean yeah i think i think that even in but, the interview you joke you joke and, and it's quite right that like, endgame is probably on the list right now <laughs> and you were entirely right <laughs> endgame is very much on the list right very on the list. very it is all yeah. over the list and I, actually i would i would agree with both of those and i'm actually really glad personally it's on those we've talked on this before about like how do you determine the top 250 movies ever made? And part of me is like, you look at the list as a whole and you see, does the film add something to it? And I think you're right that it does. It doesn't cover, you know, it covers stuff that isn't really covered elsewhere. But beyond that, even like selfishly, I had not seen this movie before. This right. is my first time yeah, watching okay. it. Mm. And Andrew sort of, Andrew's done this a couple of times where he said like, 
I'm really glad this movie's on the list because that gave me an excuse to watch it that I wouldn't maybe otherwise have had. I wouldn't maybe have come across it otherwise. I'd heard people talk about it, but it hadn't bumped up the top of my list. If a movie is more than 10 years old as well, um, <laughs> there's a chance that Darren hasn't seen it. <laughs> yeah, because I started vlogging. I actually started vlogging in May 2009. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this just narrowly... <laughs> now missed. Darren watches every movie ever. Well, happy anniversary, Phil. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and then the second question, Andy, is... Would it be on your own personal 250? Mm, no, I don't think it did. I do have a top 400 list of films that I occasionally did shift around and stuff, and it's not cracked it yet. But I do have to, I do think, I've been thinking about this film a lot since I rewatched it, because I did watch it when it came out in 2009, like pretty much all of my friends and a lot of, a lot of Australia, I think, because, you know, it, 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 was, it had a pretty big box office, 1.4 million yeah, yeah, Australian which is, dollars, which is huge for the time. And, very unusual, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and it got critic, you know, rave critic reviews from the Australians, but then nobody really paid much attention to its overseas release, and I was really interested listening to, when I talked to Adam, just to hear about how, how traumatic and difficult <laughs> and limited that international release was. Because it has its stars as well. Like, obviously, there were, like you say, there was a lot of um, Australian interest in it, and that comes across with, um, like, the likes of um, Tony Collette, Barry Humphreys, um, uh, Eric Banner. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, but you also had uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman mm. Um, mm. in it, so, which, 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 which seems like a bit, of, a bit of a get for um, a, but a, a, a relatively niche Australian film. But I think, like, anyone time. reading this. Yeah. Would 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 want to be um, a yeah. part of it? Well, that that's it yeah. exactly. The, mm. Like, there's an interview with um, Adam Elliott in the rap where he's talking about getting Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he talks about how the hardest part was getting Philip Seymour Hoffman to read the script mm. because you had to yeah. deal with his agents and stuff yeah. like that, and his managers who were like hell bent on him not doing this. Yeah. But apparently, as soon as as Hoffman read the script, he was like, "Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm signed up. I'm I'm gone." That's kind of interesting that we talk about this because we have people we talked to on the podcast before. Two of our co- two guests, uh, Jay and Roland. When Philip Seymour Hoffman passed, I think the first film they went back to was this one. Mm. And you can kind of, like, watching it, I can kind of see why, even though it's not, like, a showy, typical Philip Seymour Hoffman-esque role, I can kind of see why, if you are emotionally connected, this would be the film that you go to. Absolutely, yeah. And it's interesting, Adam's still having the same problem ten years later, trying to get a script in front of yeah. Kate Blanchett. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kate Blanchett as well, wow. Well, oh, yeah, one of his next project. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, he's like, I just can't... I've got it to her agent, but I've no idea if she's ever seen it. Like... And she's... She, uh, Kate Blanchett is Australian, isn't she? She certainly <laughs> so is. You yeah. would imagine it would be easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's, and he's not a non-quantity. He's not an obscure guy. Exactly, yeah. Um, but actually... Wow. We very rarely have guests on who actually have a prepared list, so I'm kind of curious. What is your number one? My favorite film, film of all time. Yeah, The Brief Encounter, David Lean. Oh wow! Nice. Very narrowly yeah. followed by um, The Night of the Hunter. Oh wow! Also, also the very good, very good picks actually. Mm, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, um, and you, we could have. Um, I was talking for an hour about um, about evil and hatred, and then. I was talking for an hour about love. <laughs> and, um, and them kind of fighting against each other. Yeah. Oh my God. Love it. Um, it's an incredible movie. It Unbelievable. Is. It really Still is. such a strange thing. And Andrew, yourself, would it make your own list of 250 movies? Yeah. No, I, 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 like, I, I was so glad to be able to watch it again. But out of the movies that we've, uh, that we've done, I think it would be on a hand. Like really? as as in um, in your top ten of like the one hundred and I think in thirty one at this point well, movies we've covered. I only have five fingers on my hand, <laughs> <laughs> so it would be in my top five. Um, <laughs> nice. But um, 
but um, I mean the listeners can't see but yeah. <laughs> um, but no um, like with the <laughs> I'll, I'll pass you some more pizza in a moment <laughs> but um, no yeah along with um, I think I think out of uh, what we've seen um, are are not even ones that we've seen but ones on the list that you were aware of that you yeah, know, yeah I think like the 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 the, the lies um, the lives of others and um, uh, the uh, secrets in their eyes um, are the are the are, are the, the two to beat. Yeah, yeah, and and I think this would be this this is my kind of movie. Yeah, um, and myself. This is the thing where Darren hedges. Darren always hedges, particularly when he's just seen a film for the first time. Where I'm like maybe need a bit of space. I'm kind of reluctant to sort of commit there and oh, put it up there. But I mean, I really really liked it. I absolutely adored it. It is. Beautiful and touching and emotional and sweet. And Darren is uh, an emotional rock. I don't know why I'm talking myself in third person, but it's it's been remarked on the podcast before that I'm an emotional rock. But this this really got me. Mm. Um, it's an incredibly powerful piece of work. Um, and finally, the third question before we jump into the spoiler zone, Andy, if people have not seen Mary and Matt's yet, so if listeners are listening to this podcast and just trying to get a taste of it, would you recommend that they sort of pause the podcast, run out, watch the film? And then come back and listen to the second half of the conversation. Uh, yeah, because there's so much to get into. And it, it almost, in 2019, would come with a trigger warning, I think. Because it touches on so many deep issues, quite serious, you know, quite honest representations of stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I'm, having watched it in 2009, I wasn't in a hurry to watch it again. Because you know, it was like, you know, it takes yeah, it quite a bit you, out of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But when I did rewatch it, I was like, so glad I did. Yeah, yeah so I, I would just pause and go and watch it now if you haven't already seen it. And it's not that long. No, it, it's like 90 minutes, if even, yeah, as well. And it flows. It really, really moves as well. <laughs> Which we'll talk, probably talk about the structure a bit more when we get into the spoiler zone. Andrew, what about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. This is really I, weird I, for I, me, by the I, way. I'm like, Andy, Andrew, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, um, we've, we've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've never had two Darrens. No, no. no. Um, um, and it's always an Andrew and an Andy as yeah, well. It's quite convenient as well. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I wish I'd call you Drew. <laughs> I definitely recommend it. I'm more of a Drew than an Andy. Um, uh, and like, this is the kind of movie that'll that'll make you laugh. That'll make well, sorry, it, I was about to say it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It, it, it can't make Darren cry, obviously. But, um, but um, it, it did make me laugh a lot. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, there are very few, we've watched a couple of comedies, and I think there are relatively few where I've been like laughing to the point where it's almost obnoxious to people who are sharing space with me. Yeah. This was one a of very, those. A very darkly comic. Yes, it's very darkly comic. Yeah. And I kind of admire that commitment that it has to being... Like, it, it's unashamed of its humour. I think you pointed out, like, it would have a trigger warning today, and it does deal with very dark subjects. But it... The way it deals with them is incredibly... Like, it's funny... But it's also humanist as well. It's, it's so, so humane. Yeah. 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 That's the first word that came up when I was taking notes while re-watching. Just going, yeah. oh my God, the humanity of this film. It's yeah. just exploding. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that, and I would recommend it as well. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's just terrific. And then the, the, the way it's, it's made as well. The way it looks and the, the, um, the texture of it. Like the, again, yeah. the production, it's amazing. We've been talking about like the story of it and how affecting it is emotionally because it is all those things. And it's amazing that we talk about those first when it looks so good and its production is so incredible. Yeah. Like it, it's, it takes something to look at the production of this and go, that's the second thing we're going to talk about with regards to this film, which is mm, kind of amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Cause it is, it looks stunning. It's beautiful. Um, no, it, it just has so much to recommend about it. Yeah. It's weird that there, there's like, in spite of it being so um, 
uh, dark, there's also a really strong uh, cuteness yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And that those two things um, work well to, together yeah. and never sort of like suffocate one another or never mm. sort of seem... Again, because tone is something that's very hard to do, and particularly when you're doing with this thing and when you're dealing with these ideas. Again, we're not spoiling it, so we're not going to talk about what those things are, but like there are big ideas in here in inverted commas and like really scary existential stuff. Like this is... You know, as much as it's a story focused on an eight-year-old, I'm not sure it's a film you could show an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it would be very kind of um, helpful yeah. for mm. for um, for for a child to watch. But yes, it's not a it's not a movie for kids. <laughs> yeah. Although you you did mention something in the interview that they actually showed in schools. Yeah, uh, I wasn't. Sure. I should have clarified. I should have followed up that question by going, well, "How old are these students?" Yeah. Because I was like, "Well, yeah, um, it is a bit to take on. A lot to deal with." All right, then. So I think we're ready to jump into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Andy. Yes. What is Marion Max about for you? Well, <clears throat> I suppose on the surface it's about an unlikely friendship born through chance and then developed through to, uh, letters. Um, but it just very quickly sets the tone as being one of depression or at least somebody who's born into a depressive environment which they, t- they take as being normal. But then finding out about this bigger side of the world or a different way to see this particular world that they've grown up in through writing letters to somebody that they would, probably, they would never meet really in real life. So I guess to me it's about communication and it's about um, just humanity and honesty uh, and there's a beautiful unaffectedness about it. I mean, I, I think so many other people would, t- would go straight for irony or go for satire or to deal with these sorts of subjects or skirt around them. But Adam just goes straight for the jugular every time and really, really kind of is just a beautiful way to explore these sorts of topics that most people would just never be able yeah. to have the courage to tackle. It's an incredible balance because, like, I mean, you, you talk about going for irony or sort of like, you know, sort of spoofing or satire or going broad. There's also the impulse to go like pure after school special and be overly earnest and yes, be overly. Because, yeah. again, like the things that it deals with now are in the spores. I was dealing with things like suicide and it's, it's dealing with things like sort of like mental illness mm. and, and sort of depression and like marital breakdown and like even neglect for for a child and things like that. It would be very easy to turn that into like, again, an after school special almost. Yeah. And I think the film manages to walk a very fine line where it's funny enough about them and it's got this sort of like. I don't want to say cheeky because that makes it sound lighter than it is, but it's got this sort of like awareness that the sum of the human experience involves the the extremes of tragedy and comedy. And mm. that in those darkest moments, there's always, you know, there there is something almost darkly hilarious in, in sort of those really low moments that doesn't take away the humanity from them, doesn't diminish the suffering or the pain or the hurt in there. And it's, it's a remarkable thing because it almost makes it more effective than just like so. being over the earnest and being yeah. like, well, isn't this sad? Look at how sad this is. It's like, this is sad and also kind of funny, but really sad. Mm. Kind of gets you there stronger, perhaps because you have the two extremes pulling you. But yeah, it's 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 an incredible kind of effect because the movie seems to kind of on the surface be about how... Um, uh, tragic <laughs> disappointing life the world is, is. Yeah. Yeah. but I certainly came away from the movie thinking like um, about how kind of beautiful and uplifting yeah. this yeah. movie was the ending is phenomenal I still can't get my head around just how perfect it is what yeah. an amazing balance of tones 
Yeah, that's it, because it, it's, it's a scene that involves, a, like, one of your two lead characters dead in his apartment, you know, having died earlier that morning, but never been, have not been discovered yet, being found by this girl he'd written to as an eight-year-old, who written his to him, friend. his only friend in the world, finding him dead, missing the opportunity to have actually talked to him. And it somehow becomes almost triumphant through, like, yes. the music, the film, the motion, but that wonderful shot of them looking up at the ceiling. Yeah. And, like, the fact that his body is looking up as well, the fact that his head's looking up, so that even in his final moments, even mm. though he never met her, she was there with him. I'm going to cry again. <laughs> it's a killer ending. It's, it's absolutely it's amazing. Perfect, which is, mm. is astounding. And, it again, it's, it's that balancing of tones where it would be very easy to make that over saccharine to like to turn it to over egg it and turn it into something like i know you're a fan of your name but there's a moment in your name where i like that moment where the characters are about to meet and like are about to touch and they disappear and they just narrowly miss one another and when we watched it i kind of like my reflex was almost to like laugh because it was so like ridiculously earnestly over the top like melodramatic so melodramatic and here this kind of just gets me more emotionally because you have that contrast between the two where it's sad and it's sweet and it's funny and it's like how is it all of these things mm. in a single image it's astounding and I, coming away from the movie like having so much affection for every character like, like even the the, the um the uh the guy littering on the sidewalk but even the, yeah, but the, 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 for the mother the, yeah. The, yeah. The, even like the likes of the little um her like bully in in, in <laughs> bernie in school. Yeah. yeah bernie clifford yes bernie clifford yeah i love i love how so many people had like uh, f- f- first middle and surnames as <laughs> yeah, well yeah. that helps sort of delineate them like again and, and even like bernie clifford is like again this is one of the things where the, the film layers itself so well it's so well observed in the little details which is probably appropriate given the level of attention to detail in like the sculpting of it as well but even the structuring of it like the line bernie clifford peed on my spam sandwich which is a <laughs> which is a, a line that is so funny and so sad you know it would be sad if he peed on her lunch anyway but it's sadder and funnier for the fact that her lunch is a spam sandwich and that the spam sandwich is the source of all this angst and sadness it's like this is the worst possible sandwich but it's all that i have so urinating on it is somehow even sadder for that fact it's amazing and there's something funny as well about children called bernie clifford <laughs> But it's the name, the naming conventions as well. Are like, yeah. um, it's just, it's really great. And even like the, the weird, like, what's the psychologist, psychiatrist oh, yeah. name? Oh, um, Hasselhoff, isn't it? Yes, Hasselhoff. Bernard, Bernard Hasselhoff. Uh, even, even Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff, like the, the bit where like, he's at once like a source of like, he, he's not necessarily portrayed as particularly sensitive to Max. There's the wonderful line where uh, Dr. Hasselhoff says it's good to have goals. But not stupid goals, like my goals, um, which is just a wonderful line, but underscores the sense that maybe Hasselhoff doesn't quite get Max. But later on, you have these like this wonderful monologue from Max where he's explaining how Hasselhoff has explained the world to him as like a, a path that you walk and sometimes it's cracked and sometimes it's littered, but you walk along it anyway. And it's strangely affecting and strangely nuanced. And it does that thing because you've had the contrast between Hasselhoff as this self-absorbed, um, really bad uh, psychiatrist, uh, but you have this little nugget of wisdom as well that kind of almost makes him more complete. 
Mm. Uh, rather than just being an archetype. I really love that that in there. It's just astounding. Yeah, I love how every single example you've used of a joke is is a perfect example of how Adam pitches this. As You're never laughing down at people. You're never laughing at their idiocy or stupidity or they're never the butts of jokes. It's always stuff that happens to them or their perfectly formed logic that just happens to like constantly hit these ridiculous situations. Yeah, and it's, yeah it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Very few people can the, do that. And the... the the dark, the 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 hilarity of some of the the darkness as well. Where we have the scene where um Mary is um I'm sorry talking out of um I suppose we always oh, we talk always out of sequence. sequence. I mean we talk but, about the ending. We always <laughs> exactly. the ending. But with, with 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 um with Mary when she's um uh, uh attempting um suicide, uh, suicide or like preparing to. And then the door, lock on the door. She comes to the door with the, with noose. the noose around yeah. her neck. But like, and not only that, you've just had like you have that like X-ray shot of the baby inside of her as well, which oh, is yes, like yeah, right. and like the Valium and the the noose, but also the weird like uh, you know sort of like was it uh, the song that they sing as well, oh, which is like Hey Sir Sir um, which is this sort of like campy, upbeat version of it as well. Well, no, but it, it's so appropriate as yeah. well. Though. It's so beautiful and perfect that it that it's playing K Sera Sera. Yeah, because it's it, it's it's it, it's a song about how life turns out. Yeah, yeah, and 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 coming like from her mother as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and the yeah the pictures that she's looking at as well. Yeah, it's again it's a scene that that again you point out like it it balances between being absurd and being depressing it's the darkest scene you can imagine your lead character who is pregnant is about to attempt suicide and yet somehow the sight of her running to the door with the noose around her neck is so absurd Mm. that you find in that that weird again that weird balance and it's strange because like it's a hard thing to do that level of black comedy right yeah yeah, Um, yeah. and it's just it's astounding that the film not only does it there but does it consistently my um, uh, mother was talking to me recently about grief and about kind of uh, mourning and how after a certain amount of time um, you become able to um, to introduce jokes as a, as a kind of like a a, um, a a coping mechanism like it 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 might be something funny that happened at the funeral or something uh, funny. That happened kind of like in the kind of days around something kind of traumatic. And that becomes, it's it's such a useful way to kind of, and kind of beautiful way to to process these things, I find. And those become the stories you you tell so that you're able to kind of um, uh, revisit uh, trauma and yeah but without being sort of suffocated or overwhelmed by the darkness of it exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean even here you have those wonderful again it's a recurring joke the eulogies the gravestones sort of like yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where you have the sort of poet the father's friend the poet who writes like a little rhyme for each of the people who dies over the course of the film Andrew like looking through is there I think he has a sort of a couple of them written down yeah I think there was, there was one is what, what was it um, can I grab some couple of slices of pepperoni there actually Beneath this mound lays Noel, who was drowned. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. While you chew, I'll just um. I think I'd like to just at least set the scene for when that film came out. So, what was interesting when Mary and Max came out was that um, Adam Elliott was already pretty much a household name from Harvey Crumpet because when he won the Oscar, 
and he was, I think, the first person ever to thank a same-sex partner on stage when he won, which I think Sam Smith tried to claim that 15 years later or something. He didn't quite do it. When was he that won. for Milk, was it? For when he won the thing? James Bond ah, okay. song. Oh, yeah. That was after Milk, but that was after Dustin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah, well, yeah, so, yeah, I, I think, anyway, he was gravely mistaken. Um, but the, but the, trying to claim it from several people. It did, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, when Adam did that, like, I think he thanked his partner, everybody was like, whoa. And so and he instantly became our Adam, along with our Nicole and our Russell and our Kate, these certain Australians that the whole culture will kind of grab. But what was really interesting was that he kind of did that from a very different sort of outsider place. But he was instantly drawing this sort of version of Australia that we could appreciate and we could like to look at. And it's interesting now that there are some Australians doing really well overseas that aren't, they haven't reached the hour level of... Fame. Yeah. So like Ronnie Chung is in um, Crazy Rich Asians. He's this Melbourneian comic. He'll, he's never been. He's never featured in the papers okay. or anything like that. He's no, not an hour. There's the woman become... who starred in Blockers, um, Geraldine Versanthoron. She's again quite famous, but also not an hour. Okay. <laughs> so I think I've becoming like, an institution. Yeah, it is, it's weird. So I was really kind of interested as to, as to what he was doing that enabled him to be so unusual and still instantly like just beloved because he turned up in an insurance ad which i've mentioned in the interview like yeah where his oscar gets stolen if i remember yeah, exactly the premise yes. of it we'll try and include it in the show notes if we can find it on youtube no, it is it's uh, quite it's pretty funny i remember at the time thinking yeah this is actually a, an example of doing being in an ad that isn't annoying or doesn't seem like you're selling out at all but um but yes the, the way but so when he came out with mary and max everyone i think was expecting another harvey crumpet sort of yeah lol fest and it really was not the sort of thing you come out and go wow Miro's wedding like it like in all these other australian films <laughs> yeah. like yeah it's gonna be one of those because it really wasn't you yeah. couldn't come out and... although i do like that uh, mary's bedroom includes an apple poster yeah which is a nice little touch as well um but actually and it's tony collaz and it's tony collaz yes i yeah. want to ask this actually as an as an australian because as somebody who actually well first of all you saw it in 2009 mm. um how does it capture because i know that waverly is an actual district oh, yeah, Glen place waverly, that actually yeah. exists yeah um how does it, and are you like from around there? Because I know you know people sort of who would have know Adam and stuff like that. It's yeah. a small country, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very small. It's just all like Waverly, right? But I mean, um, would you like, well, how does it capture the experience? Or well, I mean, feel, I wasn't alive Australian? In, this, that, yeah. in that time, like 1976 when it was all, when it was set. But, um, but certainly when he talks about the use of brown in everything, like that's just, that's totally bang on the money. Like there are brown houses, brown cars, brown everything. Like it's summers seem to go for a long time, you know, when you're younger and that sort of stuff. So there is this certain way that he drew Glen Waverley circa 1976 that feels very authentic to me, even though I wasn't there at the time, um, because that whole era was like this really bizarre um, period in style and, <laughs> and I'm trying to remember. I saw society. was it Kate Blanchett's mm. first film? I can't remember the name of it now, which oh. I feel really bad about. But it incorporates uh, advertisements for these like um, suburban houses in Australia, and again, it is very mau, very sort of like brown. It's very sort of like yeah. sort of, like earthy tones, and it looks. It reminded me a lot of the suburbs that you kind of see in the film there, yes. where these are these yeah. sort of like houses that are again, it's it's American as well. You could argue, but built from plan, single story with gardens there. And yeah, like yeah, it's very similar. I mean, back then, I think Glen Waverley would have been an outer suburb. Now it's kind of more of almost an inner suburb because the city has expanded so much but back then it would have been a pretty down market sort of place where it was pretty cheap to live and you kind of get that a lot in the in the film the film very much has an outcast vibe to it like Mm. even even the characters who live around you know is it it lancer across the street yeah that's right yeah (laughs) with the little with the t-shirt but with the on uh, the homophobia that evolves into agoraphobia (laughs) uh, later in the film but i mean um actually because it's funny that you mentioned like our our adam and stuff like that because like 
One thing that's interesting as Irish people, like myself and Andrew, watching an Irish film, we occasionally get a sense of like how distinct the Irish this is and wondering how it plays abroad. Is there a sense of this feeling like an, a quintessentially Australian film? Yeah, which I think is partly why he's so beloved, is that he just gets straight to the essence of how unusual, but also how honest it is. So when there's a movie like Shine or Muriel's Wedding or something like that goes international or strictly ballroom, they all feel like these Australian movies actually correctly represent Australia. So sometimes you'll get people coming to Australia, like the movie Australia, we didn't really take that to our hearts because it, even though it's like full of the country and it felt very hollywood musical from what i recall i don't think it. many people have had the similar experience to <laughs> living in australia yeah i was looking at that movie and like i haven't seen it but i was wondering kind of like who is it for also the way that he puts his this voice his voice cast together is very interesting so like we had there was a singer you've probably never heard of called kamal who had a voice who did a voice in harvey crumpet and in this film we get Renee Geyer who's a soul singer from Australia and Molly Meldrum who's an extremely well known oh, okay. interviewer who has a I think he's the voice of the homeless man in Mary and Max he's a very small and the, the guy who litters the guy who yeah. litters outside Max's apartment I saw, I saw yeah so, I saw Ronnie Meldrum in the in the credits I also saw that Adam uh, him, yes. him, himself does a lot of the, the, the voices like he's credited as a worm mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he I, I think he's um, but does he, he go to heaven Andrew these are the questions <laughs> Yeah, and there's like a number of the kind of like animals that he's kind of like doing the voice for as well. Mm. Um, yeah. No, it's an in, 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 in incredible um, uh, 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 voice cast. So, sorry, go mm. on uh, So also what was really unusual was that the fact that um, it was very, very easy to see Harvey Crumpet, which is not in the case of a lot of short films. But this was like on TV. It was like playing on a loop at, in this cinema in the city, which anyone could just walk into at any time. Really? So it's very oh, wow. much a part of the culture, yeah. We have a place called Acme, or the Australian Centre of Moving Image. So it's like a sort of museum of cinema. And when you go in there, the first thing you see is Adam's, is Adam's Oscar in a, in a <laughs> glass case. Yeah. And then the film, like Harvey Crumpet playing on a loop. So he was like, everybody was like, yes, this is us, this is us. This is, he's That's really an incredible story. sort of celebration of film as well, which is great to see. I mean, there's, there's an argument about in Ireland that we don't necessarily celebrate our art and our history of film art in the same way that we do. Like our local uh, art, the IFI, will do seasons of, of films like from filmmakers who are working in the 80s and 90s. But a lot of those are inaccessible to Irish sort of audiences on right. TV yes. even or online yeah. or stuff like that. So it's kind of great to see that celebration of something, mm. like as you pointed out, in, in like an, an institute that's designed to hold it, which is phenomenal. I think we do good stuff here. Um, but, yeah, it's... it's, it's... The issue is historically, like we're, we're very good now. Um, yeah. And we punch well above our weight now as, as, an, as a film industry. But, and again, this is this is not something that's the fault of any of the people who are responsible. Like, the Film Institute do the best they can with the money they're given. But it's just that there is, unlike compared to, say, the BFI, which has the BFI player, which allows you to go back and, like, look at shorts and advertising and stuff like that, um, the IFI doesn't necessarily have the resources to go back and to look at films from film directors who are working, again, in, in the 80s and 90s when Irish film wasn't as developed as it is now, outside of, like, the work of the Neil Jordan or Jim Sheridan. Yeah. That sort of thing. It's kind of interesting to see in that light. Yeah. Well, I suppose Neil Jordan was breaking through in the 80s, wasn't he? That was. Well, he was working overseas as well and stuff like that. Yeah. He was, yeah. He was in America. He was in America yeah. and also working with the British Film Institute as well, I think, as well. Um, so, yeah, no, that, but I, I do think that, yeah, it's kind of, it's great to kind of hear that like that's the case over there. Yeah. Although the, the odd thing is that, like, usually when you get somebody like Adam, who has gone... You know, he's obviously very, very talented and has gone to the Victorian VCA, like the, one of the better film schools in the country, um, that he doesn't remain like like an intellectual or sort of intelligentsia person. Because often you get these people who are like, 
who have lose the ability to communicate towards broad swathes of, of the country because yeah. you know you're so cloistered. And maybe it's the same here. I'm not sure if you decide you want to study film. Basically, you end up in institution after institution, yeah. and you have nothing to do with society at large. And yeah. so when you try right. to write characters who are like a broad member, different members of different classes, yeah. it becomes, of course, is very false very quickly. But Adam never has that problem. Like, yeah, no, there's something very lived in and very genuine yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in all of this as well. I mean, it, it's credited as being based on a true story. He, in the interview again, he, he doesn't use the word claymation because claymation, mm. I think, was copyrighted by Leica. Yes. Um, or the creator yeah. of Leica, he prefers the term Cleography because he draws from real lives, real life stories when he's telling these, these real life people who inspired him. Um, in fact, I think Max is based on his pen pal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> he's still friends with. Yeah. And Mary is, is him to a certain extent as well, which is remarkable. It's, mm. it's funny mm. actually li- listening to um, think how, 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 how much he's managed to stay uh, down to earth. It's very much an Australian kind of stereotype. Yes. For, yeah. yeah. The, the 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 kind of uh, down to earthness. It it reminds me of the 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 Monty Python Australian kind of department of philosophy, where they're <laughs> they're they're, they're, they're uh, talking about like this is Bruce. He's in charge of the Aristotelian um, kind of and yeah, where 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 it's uh, where there's no kind of. Um, Airs around kind of um, class distinction or stuff like that, or yeah, or, or like intellectualism, <laughs> kind of where, where the, that's the kind of um stereotype, anyway. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's always gratifying when people <laughs> and I mean, and, <laughs> follow stereotypes. and I mean, well, to, to, <laughs> thank you, man. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. but I mean, even to make because this made like 1.4 million uh, at the box office, which yeah. is like. I believe it's not a you know it would be very hard for an Australian movie to make that today. I wonder if it's the lowest grossing film in the top two fifty. Uh, well, it's apparently the least distributed anyway. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting thing is we've seen a lot of entries from again you got to keep in mind that you have movies that were sort of reassessed or whatever, um, and we've had entries from like small countries as well. We had things like what was it, uh, Tangerines, which was yes. the Estonian uh, entry for best picture, best foreign film nominee right. from a couple of years back. Um, Alia, which is the Turkish Best Foreign Film nominee from 2017, also made it as well. So this is becoming a bit more sort of diverse in that sense. But it is one of the hardest to find. It's the hardest to watch, which is strange, given mm. like how much everybody who watches it loves it, as you yeah. pointed out. Like, again, you, would think, you would think the IMDb would be full of these sort of odd movies, considering it's voted on by the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... Is a kind of boaty McBoat face as number one. Kind of. yeah. or, um, well, and he's just jealous that our campaign to get Robocop like, number one hasn't paid off yet. Because yeah, Robocop is not good. And we're like, how could it be on the list of the top 250 movies? Lies. Um, yeah. The list. This is a list of lies. The list lies. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of my favorite things is I was thrilled to hear that Adam exploded my theory that this film was on the top 250 because the sort of people who obsess about the IMDb top 250 are the sort of people who will be able to identify with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Because I I know my friends and I were like, you know, I remember seeing this and going, this is bizarre. And I'm also a member of a bunch of other cinephile, um, you know, places on the internet. And it would always turn up in their favourite films too. And I was like, just flummoxed because... I barely knew anyone outside of Melbourne who'd ever even seen it. And so I was like, well, obviously these people are like at home all the time, just like... Voting continuously, yeah. And, yeah. It's just sound familiar. <laughs> you're, and you're, in fairness to you, you're not at home voting kind of... Uh, fi- 
you're you're more fixated on other people voting. Yeah, I'm sitting at home watching other people voting. <laughs> Vicariously <laughs> watching people voting <laughs> on things. Online. I don't know. I don't know if that's healthier or creepier. Uh, which <laughs> one that is? I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I like the way that there is a <laughs> definitive answer. Yeah, um, but sorry, Andy, you were saying there in terms of like because it, it is a strange one. It is like a weird film. Yeah. That. Mm. Like to register because it premiered at Sundance. It opened Sundance, mm. if I remember correctly, didn't right. it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. First animated film to to open Sundance, which is a remarkable accomplishment. Generally, absolutely adored uh, by critics coming out of there as well. It became like I went back for this for the purposes of research, looking at uh, reviews from people who were at Sundance in two thousand and nine, and every almost every single one of them is like wow yeah it's like i had no idea what this was i mean i we we'd maybe watched harvey harvey crumpet but that was a couple of years ago and you know short films don't always translate to doing a feature-length thing but this this was adored this was sort of met mm. with an almost rapturous sort of acclaim and it is fascinating i think it's interesting in terms of you mentioned sort of people like max it's interesting in terms of its portrayal of like neuro sort of atypical behavior. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was a really rare example of that. So that was part of my theory was like people are going to go, oh, now I feel seen. And this is the sort of person I can identify with. And he's still capable of having these really healthy, really long-term deep friendships. And yeah. this is something that is almost like sort of emotional pornography in a way for somebody who's like <laughs> yeah. not able to see that very often. Or yeah. realize that. <laughs> On a, uh, one of my favorite movies. I <laughs> know <laughs> um, well, it, it is. And like, it, it's, a, like, again, it's the depth of humanism we're dealing with that. Cause again, dealing with people with disabilities is like, again, this is the thing where you talk about going saccharine. It's the stock yes. yeah. cliche sort of like you want an Oscar watch Sean Penn in like, uh, was it, what's it called? I am Sam was his sort of bid for that. You know, mm. you even have Tropic Thunder ripping it out saying you don't go full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, well, they say it a lot in this movie, so I feel <laughs> like we maybe get a pass. I don't think we get a pass. Um, you can say it, I will edit it out. But uh, yeah, but you have this like, and what's interesting about this is that it doesn't feel, those films feel crass and exploitive, which mm. is weird because, and again, it's that sense of importance that they have about them, the self-importance where it's like, look at us. We're doing something that's very worthy. Won't well, give us shower us with yeah. attention, give mm. us good reviews, and give us like awards at the end of this. Where, some... Like this feels authentic. Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, it yeah, feels yeah, yeah. Observed and kind of lived in, and it's again. I think maybe that's down to the fact that that Max is based on a real person with which yeah, sort of Adam and, interacted, and Max is writing his own letters. So in the case yeah. of Rain Man or something, you're getting it all through somebody else's eyes, and it's extremely useful. Form of <laughs> yeah, yeah well, again, like it's yeah. very much it enriches Tom Cruise's yes, character. It's, all it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, and there's something very Hollywood about that. It's like you can use mental illness for mm. your own benefit. I mean, come on, surely it has worth that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, whereas this is, as you point out, very much through his own words um, and the letters that he writes as well. And it's fascinating watching it because it, it's very much it is it is absolutely a film. I'm not going to suggest that it isn't, but the way that it's written is all the way that it's written and the way that certain parts were performed is almost novelistic. Yeah. Where mm. you have the extended voiceover from Barry Humphreys. Um, yeah, but you have like the people on, on on these shores know from uh, Dame Edna, Dame Edna, whose face mm. appears on one of the stamps. I think it's a stamp. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a stamp, yeah. that Mary uses to send mm. it over. But I mean, you have these long passages where characters don't speak but are spoken for. If that makes sense. Yes, and yeah, even yeah. the the letter exchanges between the two which are long like philosophical like tangent filled like again and I absolutely love Max's even first letter where he's like um, I was taken for jury duty yeah. I made it to the final stage but I was not allowed to serve on the duty because I spent time in a psychiatric institution <laughs> do you think a lot about garden tools um, <laughs> this wonderful sort of like branching structure but the way that it allows again this 
Matt's to be more than just a psychiatric condition mm, in yes, a way yeah. that like characters in those roles in films occasionally aren't. Well, yeah, it's 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 interesting you're saying kind of how um, how novelistic this is because it, it's like the kind of tradition of um, epistolary fiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like um, the, Dracula. Exactly. It's yeah. the most obvious example, but yeah. Oh, or the secret history of Twin Peaks. A very obvious yeah, example. as well, yeah. It's got this sort of like texture to it but it's it's a film it's undoubtedly a film and and because the way it's animated and the way it's told but it's remarkable watching it because it's like even getting past the the stop motion aspect of it even getting past like the technical beauty craft of it which i'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit like the way the story is told is kind of it's really unconventional for this because it's Mm. you have very few dialogue driven scenes in fact many of the scenes that have dialogue in them are very short and they're mostly for comedic effect. I'm thinking, for example, of the wedding night, Mary's wedding night. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is like yeah. maybe the the most that you hear her husband talk before he writes the letter at the end of the yeah, film. Yeah. Um, but those exchanges tend to be minimal, and instead you'll have characters kind of muted as well. Yeah. Like 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 the um, there's when when her her mother Vera um, uh, goes out and the whole like exchange between herself and the bin man. Yeah. It's like, any of you got room for it? another bag? Yeah. And it's, it's like, like hop in, Vera. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I mean, that's going to be the last time I do no, that. No, please. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Thank you, Andrew, for that. But yeah, it's, Cultural it's, sensitivity. <laughs> it's a remarkable piece of structuring, and it kind of it, and it's amazing because, like, after the first two or three minutes, you just go with it. It doesn't feel strange anymore, and it's. I would love to read the script for this. Yeah, well, the, well, the interesting thing was when I was doing my research before I interviewed him, there was a there was a video interview in which he says, "I never really thought much about a three act structure. I just kind of wrote and wrote and wrote, and it made sense." But then when I interviewed him, like for, the, for, for yeah. this, he was very adamant about how he wanted to make it fit to a three act structure. Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was strange because it, does, <laughs> it doesn't really feel as though like you can't yeah. really predict where it's going. That, in, in that's a, it exactly, and it it doesn't have like it's. It has peaks and troughs throughout. Like, there are mm. good moments and bad moments. And the relationship between Mary and Max is, like, always tenuous. It isn't, like, stable and then tenuous. When you see it in the film, it's, like, it's ten... It's, it's, it exists, then it becomes tenuous, then it continues to exist, then it's super tenuous, then it's okay, then it's, you know, well, obviously one of them passes away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's... I quite like how that happens in movies. How do, like, movies are about kind of, like, the... Um, what do what do they call it? The kind of interesting event. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I I like that in so many movies, like um, uh, uh, I think in rom coms especially, they the to <laughs> to to have that p uh, part in the movie where then nothing really happens. For <laughs> yeah. kind of like six, seven, eight months, and they, they, like, you get a you, montage. You get like mm. a montage, or, or like in Fever Pitch by by Nick no Hornby. Be, yeah. It's 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 a book all about kind of like him talking about be, being being um, a fan of his football club Arsenal, and the whole period in it. And then I stopped being a fan. <laughs> like I kind of went out of it. I didn't really go to the matches. Kind of I uh, kind of lost track of it. Um, I, I, I do enjoy those bits in movies where it's like, and then not, not nothing interesting <laughs> happened for a while because that's kind of what life is like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they were friends for presumably, you know, 10 to 15 years yeah. in the middle there. And it's mm. the film sort of like cleverly or cannily avoids that in order to get to where the, the tension is there. And there's something interesting in that sort of like in the way in which the relationship develops. And I'm wondering 
is there a sense when you have that conflict between Mary and Max over the book that mm. she writes? Yeah. Now, the, the film structured in such a way that, like, Max feels betrayed because she uses the word disability and she uses the word cure, which she very pointedly in an earlier letter when she was a child says, I don't see it as a disability and I don't want to be cured. Uh, (laughs) That's a fair point, actually. Um, But I mean, I wonder if there's something else there going on in terms of like this idea of appropriating another person's story and like the idea that she's exploiting Max as well. And there's, is there, is that just me? Am I reading too much into it? Or is there maybe an element there within a film that's kind of drawing from like a life experience or lived experience? I, th- I, th- I think that's, that's what storytelling is. I think that's the strength of the movie, though, is 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 that they show her kind of um, uh, appropriating or kind of like misunderstanding um, his story and then his reaction to it. Yeah, which is is very human as well and very sensitive as well. Yeah, and it, it's kind of an it's an interesting approach because we were talking a moment ago about like how characters who are neurotypical in films who have, have you know disabilities and commas, but who have conditions and stuff like that how they tend to be treated in a way that's exploitative you point out Rain Man where it's like yeah. his brother is perfectly fine as long as he's <laughs> helping him win at gambling yeah. <laughs> uh, as long as he has like a function that makes him useful to the protagonist we can relate to that and like that's that's the arc of a lot of those films it's like mm. the character is yeah. difficult to work with he's very stressful but we find a way to use his disability in a way that like allows the characters to kind of to their advantage basically and so it becomes fine mm. and what's interesting about this is it does that because it's like Mary writes this book based on him which is you know she, the newspaper headlines which are fantastic I absolutely love all the newspaper headlines in the film I'm a big fan of like the cliche of spinning newspapers in yes. general but I love that the headlines in this are just like well okay we're just throwing it out there but again she tries to use Max and again I don't think there's any malice in it I don't think she's like I don't think she intends to be cynical about it I think she thinks she's helping him but she's yeah. still using him for her own benefit and I like that the film Kind of raises I, think, that. I think I think she I, I don't think she is I think she uh, she believes she's doing something for him yeah um I don't I Maybe don't I'm think I don't think she's kind of like oh well cash, my career is good cash, cash in. no okay I, I, no. I, I, I know I, like, I know. like I don't think yeah I I, yeah. I, I think her her kind of uh, passion uh, for that project was was out of wanting to do something to do something for him, for mm, him. Yeah. yeah yeah I think that's that's fair as well yeah. Yeah, but also as somebody who has dealt with the University of Melbourne's ethics department when trying to do a thesis, it's oh, that completely, not it was not, it was not, it's impossible. Um, but, uh, yeah. uh, besides that, this film that, totally means Those true. ethical <laughs> bastards. Oh man, paperwork's ludicrous. That, yeah. we, we missed the scene where Mary's dragged before the ethics committee and they're like, what, you sold the book rights? <laughs> um, this isn't a thesis, but it's going to be a best-selling Dr. Phil book. Hey, it was yeah. the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. Think, things were very different. Mm. We're waiting for the Oprah book club. We're waiting for what's, <laughs> yeah. what's the name of his imaginary friend um, to be reading that oh, yeah, copy yeah. of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Mr. Ravioli. Mr. Ravioli, yeah. yeah, to be reading that in I the corner. I what his first name is. Because, of course, everyone has a first and second <laughs> and name. And a middle Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, by the way, I get another one of those great laughs that it works because it's so dark is Mr. Ravioli <laughs> just throwing himself to his death. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. I mean, he's throwing himself to his death. It's, it's like I've had enough imaginary. of this. I, I, I don't imagine like uh, spectral figures like uh, uh, making, the uh, like when when a spectral figure like falls from a window, do they not just keep falling <laughs> forever and ever and ever down to the earth's core? Um, no, I, I I kind of I, I 
Again, maybe Darren Steele would be cynical. I don't imagine them going splat. Yeah, no, I don't imagine he went splat. And they don't, like, he die a him... second time, and it's imaginary. <laughs> yeah, he also <laughs> threw himself out a window. That was what I'm getting at. Yeah. I kind of, I, that was a wonderfully dark joke. It's like yeah. imagine your imaginary friend. It's like I've had enough. It's like I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Incredible. Yeah. I remember when when um, I I think part of the reason I related so much to this uh, movie was 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 kind of thinking kind of like back to uh, primary school and thinking kind of that I once uh, made up that I had an imaginary friend. <laughs> yeah, you had an imaginary, imaginary friend. Yeah, exactly. Because I figured like, um, I'm not going to have people say that I don't have any friends. I'm going to tell them <laughs> no, I do. That is really sad. That is, yeah, really, exactly. It's also kind of funny. I like that. This yeah. is... But the problem was people kept asking me about my imaginary friend. So eventually I killed him. <laughs> Oh, um, oh, how? Well, no, like I didn't kill him. Oh, he, okay. he died. I told oh, okay. people how he had died. Oh, okay. It was one of those... Um, uh, that's just the right amount of dark. I think I, I, I feel like it. Andrew going into a room and just with his imaginary friend and walking out by himself. some special kind of dark. flu. I think I said it's oh. a Chinese flu. Yeah, right. Yeah. This was the late 90s. It was very popular at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Andrew just ripped from the headlines. Um, <laughs> Actually, is it worth talking a little bit about the animation here or the stop yeah, motion? There's because, a lot of it. Yeah, all of it, in fact. But it, it's absolutely beautiful. It's yeah. a stunning looking. Well, film. my friend visited Adam's place when she was living next door to him, and she's like, when you went inside, his downstairs, he had this massive room, and it was full of all the props from the movie that were just like sitting around the place, like hundreds and hundreds of like individual made props that they used from the film. And so I was like, they're just sitting there. Like, what, what is he going to do with them? Um, but it, it took, it, what, 57 weeks to make? Yeah, that's right. And it comes across as well because you have stuff like, like the the, um, the scene where, I think it was the first time in the movie when I cried, when 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 she said, um, uh, my tears are smudging my words now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's I have to stop writing the, the, the letter now because... And you can see the tears kind of on the page. And sort of splattering it. And yeah. the level of attention mm. details is astounding. I will say actually the, the time I came closest to crying, ironically enough, <laughs> was the bit where uh, she sends Max her tears so he can cry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That really got me. That was... What was it is what was it again that she started thinking about? Was it uh was yeah, it like something really strange? Cats uh, or something being Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, um, but in terms of animation as well, you know the liquid, the, you know how they animated like water in the sea and the toilet and stuff. They use lubricant. Oh really? And like KY know. jelly. Yeah, I'd imagine that works better than, than actual yeah. water when you're doing stop motion. That scene in Singing in the Rain <laughs> where they use milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of just flattering Gene Kelly with and hoping that he can dance. So Jesus, much, so much lube. <laughs> yeah, imagine, imagine Gene Kelly trying to dance with that. Um, just covered in KY yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah that, that's how they're able to get all the effects and apparently yeah, it took quite a lot to get the sequence with the, the grandfather in the ocean as oh, you might yes, imagine of course. yeah yeah he's yeah. been swept away yeah um, but yeah it's, it's absolutely stunning and the figures are so expressive mm. as well yeah and the, the detail in the world is absolutely astounding you know that they built and Andrew pointed this out Andrew sort of pointed out that the keyboard on the typewriter is too small obviously for the letters but they actually built a functioning uh, miniature typewriter oh yes that. yeah yeah he was explaining that in the interview you know, yeah like somebody's job was just doing the typewriter scenes yeah so which is so many. amazing um, mm, which is just incredible. like the level of detail that it takes to go into this and like even like the difference between the design of like New York versus Melbourne, and, and it's really weird because in any other sorry in any other movie the um, the scenes in Waverly would be like 
really dull and really drab and really sort of like they'd be sort of like you know sort of bland but then you contrast that with the with the version of New York yeah. seen in the film it's where gray. everyone's literally and gray. The, the, only, the, 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 the only things that, that take on any color are the things that's, Mary uh, that Mary sends him. Yeah. Which is a wonderful visual metaphor. It's mm, this idea of yeah. like the fact that a friendship brings color into your life in an otherwise cold environment. I also love that the Statue of Liberty is stylized. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. A lovely touch where even in this world it's like reflecting the world the Statue of Liberty mm. just looks sort of downbeat and depressed and he's always sitting outside Katz's delicatessen oh, like when he yeah. sits at the, at, yeah. the, at the bus stop where Harry, when Harry met Sally orgasm scene was oh, in Katz's that's right they, and there's just so much richness to it yeah, as well like, like all of the kind of um, the like we talked a little bit about the poems on the headstones but also like the, the um, there, there's also um, the Adam Adam Elliot's uh, gra- gravestone as a gra- well. yeah, in the graveyard he's just it, one one over yeah. uh, from um, what's the na- what's her name um, the woman who we get who Max gives the money to who dies of Jetpack oh Ivy Ivy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ivy. Right. next to Ivy there's a little Adam Elliot uh, R.I.P. very overrated which <laughs> <laughs> is lovely and self-effacing I have like the stats here it used 133 separate sets 212 different puppets 473 miniature props, which mm. is astounding. And that typewriter that we mentioned took nine weeks. Yeah, right. Nine weeks to make a typewriter, a miniature typewriter that worked, which is amazing. But you even see things like when you're looking in the window at uh, Max, you see like kind of next door, there's another guy kind of like looking out his window, kind of sad. Yeah. And you have like all of the this like rich, rich detail. It's yeah. incredible. It's, it's amazing, just visually stunning. And it's again, it's quite distinct from the work that even like Leica's doing in stop motion or mm. like uh, Wallace and Gromit, our, our men are doing as yeah. well. It's got a unique texture to it, which is astounding. And these figures, which are nominally kind of gro- grotesque to a certain extent, they're exaggerated, but they're exaggerated in ways where you have huge bags under their eyes, for example. You have ears that like pop yes, out like yeah, little yeah. shoots it's almost like they've got a hearing aid built in the heads which are built like heads but then have a little dome off the back uh mm. for some reason these figures should be like ridiculous and grotesque and absurd but they're so expressive mm. and yeah. they, they take on this like organic quality within them that's like you <laughs> i don't want to diminish it by saying you forget you're watching stop motion because you don't because it's so beautiful and so well constructed but there's a like a humanity and an expression in them that's astounding. Yeah. Um, and it's just like watching them react is like, you know, it's obviously more height and more size than watching an actor react. But it's the level of detail is, is astounding to me. And, uh, like the, the, every 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 time watching kind of uh, Demian uh, uh, Papadopoulos, but like all of the kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, characters in this movie, and uh, like Mary herself, like the the. Um, not just the animation, but the kind of like like little little small touches, like when she's writing the the letter and her and her kind of like tongue like sticking out. Yeah, as she's concentrating writing. Exactly. Which is a yeah. very I, I do that when I write. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the um and even like little things like when she gets the uh, letter and then kind of walks. It's the end of the scene, so she kind of walks up up the road but then she just like trips and falls yeah well, that's really <laughs> lovely because yes. it, again it's a, you're a kid yeah. you expect the scene to cut away because you've <laughs> done what the scene is there to do yeah. and it's like no 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 we're going to show mm. her falling flat on her face because again that again if you find out that's something that happens to kids yeah it's so so well observed and so rich and so 
just incredibly vibrant. And it's a real kind of service to make all of life's so many tragedies just very kind of um, uh, uh, funny to, 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 to shine this kind of light on them. You know? Yeah, well, that's what I notice he does in quite a lot of scenes is that he'll do an extended series series of like sentences or parts of the letter, which is quite serious, but then he'll put like a gag at the end. Yeah. Usually a scatological gag, or there'll be something like, oh yeah, and I won the lottery at the yeah. very end of the letter, or <laughs> there'll be yes, like, there's yeah, a scene yeah. where she's falling over at the very end of you know, something else. Or that really great, yeah, nothing much has happened to me since last I wrote, aside from when I was incarcerated, my murder trial, um, and I won the lottery, <laughs> which is just fantastic. Um, yeah. And again, and the camera work as well. He actually mentioned this, I think, mm. in the interview as well. Because one of the things that distinguishes this from Harvey Crumpet and other work, and particularly other stop motion work to a certain extent, is the fact that this has actual cinematography from Jared Thompson, is, is the name of the guy. But the camera actually moves, which is remarkable. So you get these shots that are able to, like, again, it's, it's all stop motion. I won't pretend to know the mechanics of it because it's an art form like any other. But it has, like, the camera moving through scenes and panning and sort of giving a sense of scale and place mm. in a way that you don't always get. Tendency to have, like, a static shot and characters moving within that. And it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, obviously, the closing shot is a great example of that, where, not the closing shot, but the closing scene, mm. where the camera, like, pans up through the mirror to the ceiling. But, I mean, even in smaller scenes, like those where she's skipping down the road, where the camera follows her from the house and then mm. leers down, or follows her down the street, uh, which is very, very effective. And it's really, really, really well put together in a way that, like, isn't necessarily very showy, but is just, like, really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes it so so watchable. Yeah, yeah. I'm so saturated with uh, with these bits as well. Like I keep on um, thinking of them. Like the the like even the books that um, <laughs> the, the Mister is reading. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. I'm okay. You're okay. How to make friends and influence people. I do love that later on she's yeah. reading. I'm okay. You're a homicidal maniac. <laughs> <laughs> the '80s were a very different time. Much less innocent. I do like the idea that they were more concerned about that in Australia than in New York. Yeah. Um, and the the um, the homeless man outside with like the different signs like kind of uh, hugs, hugs for 50 cents cent yeah. financial <laughs> advice for 50 cents and what's the last one it's like free is it the I want change I don't want I don't want money I want, I want change, change. Yeah. yeah Um which I probably at the time no one had heard yeah yeah <laughs> Which is great. Um, mm. And there's just so, so much in there. It's absolutely beautiful mm. um, and astounding and sort of like striking. And the, 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 like so many kind of uh, beautiful, like, like him um, uh, sending her the little love heart, which says love yourself first on it. Well, that, that's the, that's again, like, again, this is the warm humanism of it. It's a, it's a film with a suicide attempt and it ends with a dead body sitting on a couch. <laughs> but there's this incredible embrace of like the sensitivity and humanism in it and that's a huge part of it where she gets this plastic surgery to remove the birthmark from her forehead and the film you know makes the point that even then she still has poop on her shoe mm. um but like but, that and, it, and, and, it underscores the fact that it was never about the birthmark it was never yeah, about physical yeah, yeah. appearance and how beautifully constructed the movie is as well, because she then has this baby who has the <laughs> birthmark yeah, yeah. on, 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 on her forehead. Which is adorable, by the mm. way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, e- even even within that, and there's this, again, maybe it's it's something the film does, or maybe I'm being overly like judgmental of the character's physical appearance, but stuff like Max, who is, who is like with his big eyes and his bags under them and his odd shaped head and stuff, he's not physically beautiful, but, like, there's this weird sense of 
him being lovable despite that, which is really affecting when mm. you have that with the focus on the birthmark and stuff like that. Again, it's a, it's a message that if you delivered it earnestly, which is like, you deserve to be loved no matter what you look like. It would be very easy to be cheesy or mm. to be goofy or to be like an after school special. But because it comes nested between poop gags, <laughs> yeah. like it's literally a poop, ba- poop gag on her forehead and it's a poop gag on her shoe. The mm. fact that it's nested between those makes it become something like, you have the contrast where it's knocked you in one direction, therefore it's able to pull you in the, in yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah, And it, it's that incredible tonal variance where it, somehow the joke is... joke is funnier because the situation is tragic, but the tragedy is more affecting because it's also a little bit funny. It's... it's Yeah, and it's also kind of... It's it's on, on one level. Like, it's supposedly ugly. Yeah. But it's so, like, beautiful that you just don't want to stop watching it. Yeah, that's you know, it's it, it, it's 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 incredible how they they just kind of like keep doing that because that's true throughout the movie. Yeah. These things that it, like it's telling us kind of it it's getting across to us that these are um, kind of an in inverted commas ugly uh, uh, people, uh, people and, situations. and situations, but 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 there's such beauty. And vibrancy, in yeah, as well. and I yeah. mean the, the soundtrack is a great part of that. It's the Penguin yeah. Cafe Orchestra, like yes, the, yeah, yeah. the wonderful. The, is it Perpetual Motion? I think mm-hmm. it's called. Yeah, uh, which the and I know from HB ads, which is very oh, very strange. Right, yeah. Um, but it has this wonderful soundtrack throughout. It's it. been but, it's been used in loads of ads. Mm, yeah. I think this is um, that Jan Pearson thing from from Amelie has yeah. been used so much in ads yeah. as well that it's almost hard to watch <laughs> without, without thinking. I'm, I'm sitting there watching Mary and Max and thinking, man, I really need to upgrade my PC. Actually, um, now they mention it, I feel like it could be connecting people. Yeah, <laughs> you're waiting for the Mary and Max version of the HP ad where it's like they're communicate, they're emailing now yeah, um, yeah, yeah. over a HP processor. But um, it, it is you're you're right when you say that there is the sense of it being ugly and beautiful at the same time, but also vibrant. Mm. Again, this is the paradox of the thing where like the browns and the like washed out greens of like Waverly should be depressing and bleak and like soul destroying, crushing and suffocating, but because of the way the film uses them, like a little brown tin with "I'm sorry" mm. written on it in cartoon writing positioned in this grayscale universe is just such an eye-catching thing i mean obviously the bit of red the red pom-pom that he yeah, wears yeah. at the top of his head and stuff like that but even that little bit of brown in in a world that's so gray mm. suddenly becomes so much more rich and vibrant yeah, and sort of eye-catching warm, yeah. it's it's a yeah that warm exactly mm. which is not what you would associate because again it's very like uh, what's that word for uh, snow that's muddy um oh yeah Confuzzled. I'm sorry. I'm very confuzzled at the moment. Slurs. Slurs. That's what it is. Slurs. It's a very sort of slurty color. Snurt. Snurt. Oh, okay. Snurt. Sorry. I thought that was the sound Wolverine makes. Um, But yeah, it's it's astounding. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, In terms of other stuff we want to talk about, because there's so much in there, and I part of me worries. I I found another for her mother Vera. um, Always Mary killed by Sherry. Oh yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And again, that that wonderful tonal variance where you've set up. This and again, it's a classic comedy bit. It's you've got two glass, you've got two glasses and two bottles. You've got a character who can't see what they're reaching for and who's going to grab the wrong one. Mm. And it's a joke. It's a comedy setup, and it, the scene plays it quite wisely and quite rightly as tragedy, even though she's never been the best mother. Even though it's a very I, obvious... I, yeah, I had so much kind of affection for for, for Vera for Vera. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. 
And again, it's it's that level of observation and humanity in there. Like the little details about like the, the sherry is tea for adults and yeah. how it's important for tasting. Yeah. The, the lovely little joke where she she takes the little Rice Krispie buns and shoves them in the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is just a wonderful sight gag in there as well. And again, so much, even for the supporting characters who are nominally, and maybe it's because they're so odd and maybe it's because like, despite the fact that Mary isn't necessarily as loved or sort of, like, mm. supported by her parents as she might be, she's sort of neglected by them. Like, there's a wonderful line where they're talking about her father, and it's like she wished that he spent more time with her. Uh, yeah. But the fact that his obsessions are so weird, and mm-hmm. his job is, like, that perfect blend of, like, factory line work, yeah. but with the eccentric detail of connecting the thread <laughs> on tea bags, it kind of, yeah. it, it becomes something more than just, like, well, he's working a soulless nine-to-five job. Mm. His obsession with taxidermy, yeah. um, like, these little details that are so well observed. Yeah. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the film, it's going to sound like it's about three hours long. There's so much stuff in it. so much information in there. Yeah. It's just a saturation. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the thing with jokes. We've done, like, I mean, the, if you look at many of the great comedies, the key is saturation. Yeah. Where you don't have, like, not every joke lands perfectly, but there are so many of them coming so quickly that one of them will get you. Mm. Even if it's not the Rice Krispies in the refrigerator, maybe it's the little crosses on the eyes of the um, the stuffed birds, which I yeah. adore. <laughs> like, cartoon dead. How do you communicate these birds are stuffed and dead? Yeah. Um, Actually, interesting, because we watched Harry Crumpet. There's a lot of carryover between Harry Crumpet and mm. this, actually. It was quite interesting to note. I hadn't seen it before. Oh, um, right, I hadn't okay. seen Harry yeah. Crumpet before. But it also... Sonny and Cher. Sonny and Cher as well. The, the dogs as well. And this sort mm. of, like, idea of a strange connection between people as well, which is fascinating. This Again, this humanism that runs through the films. And this sort of, like, empathy for outsiders and eccentrics and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. No, because is... I think there's a character in uh, one, of his, uh, one, the film, one of the films he did before Harvey Crumpet. It might be Uncle... And the main character wears an I Yodel for Jesus t-shirt, which turns up in the jury. Like, in <laughs> oh, in the, in, the, in the box. The, the jury sitting next to... Which is lovely as well, yeah. Yeah, these sorts of... Yeah, lots of in-jokes, lots of nods. The more you know his stuff, the more you get yeah. out of it. And the, uh, I, I, I loved the, the solution that he had... Um, to um, the, 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 the bully. Oh, the bully, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, Griffith. Blaine Grifford, isn't it? Uh, yes, Bernie, uh, Bernie, Bernie Gifford. Clifford. Bernie Clifford. Um, where where his solution was to 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 tell him that the, the, this um... birthmark means she'll be in charge of chocolate in heaven. Exactly. Yeah. But I love that he's like, this is a lie. I do not approve of lies, but I feel that in this case, it may accomplish a good. Yeah, and he's like, I um, would like to be in charge of chocolate in heaven, but, but I'm, I'm an atheist, atheist. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Oh, it's, it's it's so like like from kind of start to finish, and it, it's so funny, but also like really kind of. Um, like the way he he's 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 helping um, this child, even yeah. though like this is stuff that's kind of uh, difficult for him. Yeah, well, he has a panic attack with almost every letter mm, that he gets. Yeah, and and there's that something very, like something very moving in the fact that even though he has these panic attacks, he generally comes back. Like, yeah, it, it's a, like it's a heroic journey, and there's something very like it's it's not to go to the typewriter and sit down and to, again, there's something very human in that. And it, it gets to that idea, like, that we talked about about communication, how important communication is. Mm. And the idea that, like, she brings colour into his world by, like, sending in the pom-pom and the can and stuff like that. But the idea that opening yourself up to other people is risky and painful and dangerous. And that, like, friendship is something that exacts a cost from you but is worth doing anyway. Because mm-hmm. it, it literally does. It almost kills him at one yeah. point. Uh, but he still does it and he still goes back. And it's... There's a heroism in those small moments and it's kind of juxtaposed with like him winning the lottery. 
mm. where it's this nominally huge event which has very little impact um, yeah. like, <laughs> he just gives the money to somebody who buys a jetpack iview buys a jetpack <laughs> and dies in a freak jetpack accident leaving the money to somebody else who the cat orphanage where so the cat orphanage owner can run away with his his wife um down to the you know mexico I don't disappoint you but jetpack accidents are never freak accidents <laughs> 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 it's a jetpack accident you died because you were riding a jetpack <laughs> statistically speaking how like, did this happen <laughs> <laughs> statistically speaking it's the safest we, we way to travel we went to a licensed jetpack <laughs> provider yeah and we filled out all the forms we took all the proper courses and precautions we spent but, so much for insurance yeah you know, we did everything right yeah. <laughs> and somehow it still exploded it nothing. <laughs> yeah. but like the fact that like you have all this happening and it's treated as incidental mm. but the mere fact of matt's having a panic attack, staying up all night, like shaking in bed, eating those chocolate hot dogs and like trying to find the energy to sit down at the typewriter and, and like lay his soul out and be so entirely honest uh, on paper is, is presented as something that takes a huge amount of effort. And I really like that. There's something very genuine yeah. in that and this idea of opening yourself up to others as like a risk and a gambit and it's something that's terrifying even if you don't suffer from Asperger's syndrome, even if you don't have a neurological condition. I found something very touching in that. Mm. Um, yeah. And I mean like even even beyond that is his difficulty opening up to people in general or simply understanding emotions. The little... Um, book around his, his neck which yeah. is something from Harvey Crumpet as well Harvey yes. Crumpet has a book yeah. of facts he mm. has a book of faces um, but this little thing of like trying to navigate the world even though you can't do it even though it's very difficult mm. but the fact that he's sincerely trying in his own way because he's, he's you know he's difficult to, to deal with and interact with to a certain extent because of his condition but he's genuinely trying like when he's writing that letter about <laughs> About increasing the fine for cigarette butts yes. to one million dollars, which is obviously a crackpot crazy idea, but it's him trying to do good. Yeah. And it's and yeah, and it's, adding words to the dictionary. Yeah, <laughs> and he's trying to help, but yeah. it's like yeah, it's and, and 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 as and well, he never how... treats him as a joke. It never like those are funny sequences, but they're never scenes that make him. A butt of a joke. You exactly. never feel like it's on him. All great words. Yeah. <laughs> great ideas. Exactly. I mean, I've been using confuzzle repeatedly yeah. since. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear someone say snert. <laughs> I mean, I was literally just looking for a word for that right now and you were able to give it to me because he came up with it. Thank yes. you, Max. The, um, but yeah, yeah, he really does want to, um, like, do good. Like, because there, there's the, um, kind of continued joke like, a few times about, but I've been told by Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff that I shouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, because so, it's impolite. Yeah, <laughs> because it's impolite yeah. and he doesn't want to hurt people's feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's, um, it's, he's, he's such, he's such an incredible character. Yeah. And again, Hoffman's performance. I mean, all the performances in this are great in terms of animation and in terms of voice performances as well. Um, again, there's something very like flat, very New York about his performance as well. Mm. That's very like, it's really lovable. Like Hoffman again underplays it. And I can see, I mentioned earlier that like Friends After Hoffman Passed, this was their go-to film. Even though I'm not sure that I'd recognize it as Philip Seymour Hoffman mm. if I didn't know it was him. But there's like, a warmth and a humanity and again maybe it's because of the structure of the film with the letters where you get extended passages of these people reading because again I, I talked about how like so much of stop motion the performances in the characters and the animation of the characters and it's definitely that but the fact that so much of the film is spent with long letters means that you do get 
the performance from the actors as well. Which yeah, is yeah. And what's fa- so fantastic about this, I think, also, is that it breaks the rule in that um, it has celebrities doing voices and it actually works. Because for yeah. a long, long time, animation films had really, really good voice actors being really, really good at doing voice mm-hmm. acting. And then at some point, it became about getting celebrities in to do the voice work so you could have an extra layer to sell the film or whatever. Yeah. And, like, you know, you'll get your, um, your Miyazaki movies, you know, revoiced by... Nick, Nick Jonas or yeah. somebody like that you know these sorts of celebrities who they could get or Tina Fey will have like four lines or something in a film I think she was in Ponyo or something like that but um, anyway and like so if, even if you create a character like Woody from, from Toy Story he's like this really really interesting character but now he's suddenly voiced by Tom Hanks and that's it forever Yeah. Like, and so usually I'm kind of bristle a bit against people getting celebrities in but at this time it totally works Yeah. Like, I'm not quite sure why yeah. I think that I suppose we could get we could go down a rabbit hole of talking, but I I I, I like the, the uh, Tom Hanks. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's okay, but I also feel like what else would are we missing by not getting somebody right. who's really really great at doing voice work? Well, I mean, I think it's it's less of a concern where the only experience of the character is with that voice to a certain extent. I think it's more of a problem with stuff like dubs, for example. I've, yeah. I've heard it argued that like. With it's, dubs and with Maizaki dubs in particular, because you have the issue with like lip syncing to the the characters, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. which is not an issue for like Patrick Stewart and Nausicaa, but <laughs> yeah. where the characters is covered by a mustache, so Patrick Stewart can just go wild. <laughs> but like, yeah, um, it's funny though because there is an extent to which it makes it makes the animated characters more kind of um, memorable. Like nobody ever does like a a like an Aladdin or like a Simba impression because you don't know who are those people as but, opposed uh, to doing a Mustafa who's played by Ray James Earl Jones <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, 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 the, or the genie uh, from by, Aladdin uh, voiced by Robin Williams, Williams. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, the, that those are the kind of um, I think they realised well, I mean, maybe to, when when well to be fair those characters are also very much built around the actors like yes, Mustafa yeah. Mustafa's Darth Vader to a certain extent like where he literally appears as a ghost to his mm. son afterwards but even like Genie is very much Robin Williams yeah, like, yeah, all yeah. the cocaine <laughs> yeah. blue cocaine all the blue cocaine um, but yeah is, just out of curiosity is there anything else we want to talk about with Mary Max anything we haven't discussed already that sort of jumps uh, out to you no not especially I think we covered a lot yeah yeah I, Do we have a favorite character or a favorite joke or something like that that we want to sort of leave on? I was going to jive you when I, uh, I was asking, like, did you relate to 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 Mary when when she visits the pulp mill <laughs> to watch her books sort of being fed into the machine? <laughs> no, no, Andrew, they didn't invite me for that. Um, they just sent me a bill afterwards for the cost of moving the books there. No, no, my my publisher have not pulp books. I want to be entirely clear. No, right they have not. <laughs> But yeah, we're still available. Get I was actually as I'm a their pulp. Get in there quickly. Um, I hear um, that somebody like I'm took just a, kidding. somebody took a box of them aside. They're going to be collectors' items in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, no, no, no. Um, you can you, uh, like your. Um, you creatively type picking up hitchhikers and be like hey there's there's a box of books there just grab one (laughs) Um, just take one I'll autograph it it'll be fine Um, you typo Christian Bale's name 15 times and all of a sudden you have to pulp a run I don't know what the deal is there Um, I was worried that you were going to say did you relate to Max that was my big fear going into that when you began well obviously you did relate to Max I mean that goes without saying oh thanks in as much as you can relate to (laughs) another person who is not myself apparently I love the idea that Andrew's going to get me a little book of faces so I know when to cry at movies. It's like, so, uh, yeah. Andrew, you, you are my friend. You are my best, best friend. friend. My Andrew, only. you are my only friend. I'm going to leave it ambiguous which Andrew I'm talking to at the table right now. Um, 
yeah, I mean, we spoke a bit about the the the, the, the music, but not just that piece. Like the use of like Zadok the priest and the dance of the nights, uh, 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 Zorba's dance <laughs> with the um, when when uh, with David Papadopoulos. Some of the uh, the the, the um, voiceover as well, and some of the lines. Like I really enjoyed the um, Barry Humphreys talking about how um, the grip of love. Had her by the neck <laughs> and then was tra- strangling her, wasn't it? Oh, she was she was strangling it. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also quite like Max's observation that people interest me, although I am often confused by them. I wrote that down. I don't know why I wrote that down. I don't know what the relevance <laughs> of that is, but I felt like that was a noteworthy line for me to write down. And he was talking as well about um, uh, my my favorite physicist uh, Albert <laughs> Einstein said that there are two things that are infinite. <laughs> The universe and man's stupidity. Um, yeah, it 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 felt like um, it 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 really kind of encapsulated how kind of unfair um, everything had kind of been for uh, Max. The way people um, treated him, yeah, was always so kind of born out of kind of uh, misunderstanding or stupidity, and also and indifference like, to a certain extent as well. Yeah, like there yeah. was no sense of like allowing like, him, they, like the the mother pulling the child away when she offers him a candy heart and he offers her some chocolate. Mm. Like the sense of a world being very cold to him and very unsympathetic. Like the fact yeah. that he gets electroshock treatment, for example, yeah, at one yeah, point, yeah. Uh, which is something that is you know. There's a sense that he wasn't necessarily properly diagnosed. Later on, he's diagnosed with, with Asperger's. But that's after he's been institutionalized several times. And you're mm. like, what what harm has been done to, to him as a result of this? Mm. I will mention, actually, just before we go, the animation of the flies. Um, the, the, the little insects. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're like, incredible. The, like, I mean, all the animation's great, but I absolutely love the, the big-eyed, like, flies of cockroaches. It's about where she opens it and finds the condensed milk, and there's a cockroach that does the little cartoon thing where its eyes pop and it mm. jumps in the air, and it scurries away. <laughs> like, all the animation's fantastic, but I particularly love the animation of, like, like the animals in there as well, um, mm, yeah. which is just beautiful as well. All right, so I think that about wraps it up. Unless there's, I was, I was going to say the the novelists look like little, little oh, yeah. dicks, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't Did occur to me. No? That? No. no, that was Andy. I'm going to throw this no, one I, here. No, I never, never could make. No, I kept <laughs> kind of saying them as kind of um, like um, uh, penis, uh, like kind of um, mushroom shaped heads. Yeah, or... now you mention it. With the word in their name. It's yeah, novelists. Kind of, yeah. 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 I still don't see it, but we'll... <laughs> I'm not fixated. I'm <laughs> Everything's a dick to me. Um, but yes, uh, that was Andrew's uh, song introduction to Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, right. um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Hasselhoff right would be word. very curious. <laughs> yeah. so, um, and we will be We we watched the. Oh no, actually, sorry. I was going to say something about the German uh, subtitles, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> No, there was a moment when they were chasing him <laughs> while he was remembering being teased. Oh, yes. See, like, oh, the, yes, the yes, German yes. subtitles saying, like, Jude, Jude. Sorry. You know, like the German word for Jude. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Thanks. It was one of the only times in a movie where the where, where the subtitles kind of like oh, <laughs> felt a little out. Yeah. felt a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable watching the German Blu-ray version of this. Yeah, right. um, but yeah, so I think that about wraps it up. But um, Andy, if people mm. are looking for a bit more um, Andy in their lives, oh, should you it. need to? You can follow me at Andy Ricky on Twitter. I'm on, I've got a bunch of other podcasts, which I don't know if we've got time to mention. I do. Oh, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. Oh, like yeah. Oh, sure. You I came have... all the way to Australia <laughs> <laughs> from, from yeah. Australia. From Australia. Um, like a... Well, I have one called Cultural Capital which is similar, sounds similar to the one that you do, only it's about Melbourne instead of Ireland. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a weekly discussion. Well, yeah, of... it used to be fortnightly, and now it's monthly, but we just kind of right. look at what's being released, what's, what festivals are happening, because oh, cool. there's always something yeah. happening. Um, I have another one called Twin Peaks The Return, a season three podcast. Which is the one we sort of crossed over just, with. Well, yeah, which yeah. is how we kind of met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then I do a bunch of other newsy ones and like stuff that, about China. Oh, cool. But that's, that's totally unrelated. Although our next episode is about the influence of China and Hollywood and vice versa. Which oh, is very wow. interesting. This is something I've absolutely fascinated. I about to say this fascinates me because you have like the Chinese blockbuster that's on Netflix at the moment is The Wandering Earth. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, there's Which also is... so many strange things. So many yeah. scenes being shot just to be edited into the Chinese versions of that's the film. Iron Man 3, for example. Yeah. Stuff like the Transformers. Um, was it Transformers 4? Is it the, uh, the which one where they go to Hong Kong? Yeah. And, it's like, and it's great because you can tell that they're pushing for a Chinese release because like in the Transformers movies, the government is never to be trusted and always cynical and always evil and always involved in evil plans. And then they go to Hong Kong yeah. and it's like, well, the government here is very efficient. They've managed <laughs> civilian evacuation. They've cleared the disaster zone and they've got strike teams ready to move on our order. And it's like, well... <laughs> <laughs> they look at the uh, American <laughs> government, which is like stuck conspiring and sort of like cynically plotting against its own citizens. Um, Except yes. your military. Yeah. <laughs> which is just perfect and flawless. And yeah, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's always like in Hollywood, it's like the uh, uh, action movies. Yeah. Government bad. Military, military good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird sort of balance there. <laughs> yeah, the, but the... Um... But yeah, the influence of China's yeah, amazing because I mean, like, huge. even the production companies getting in and investing yeah. money in, in American films and stuff. And there's these movies as well that come out that were kind of like, who's going to watch that? But but they're, they're China. huge <laughs> yeah. in China. There was like World, World of Warcraft. Warcraft. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, Pacific that, Rim got uh, a sequel based on the money that it made yeah, in China. Sure. Yeah. It was like that, the... Um, Great Wall? The Great Wall, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, that's yeah. the one I was thinking of. Yeah. When Matt Damon goes to China, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> it's <that's>... Lee Bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Well, a spoiler like... for the podcast. No one knows. Oh, I don't think we're going to be talking about it. No, um, no we're not going to be talking about that. What's the name of the podcast, actually? That, that one, oh, that one is called The Little Red Podcast. Little Red Podcast. Deadly. So give yeah. it a some. We'll be including all those links in the show notes as well. Um, you're also headed to Cannes, actually. Oh, yeah. So in a few days, I'll be at Cannes interviewing people. Which will probably be as this podcast release, because this podcast is coming out uh, Saturday the 17th? Oh, right. Well, in that case, I will have already spoken to a bunch of people. Um, (laughs) But he flew back to Ireland specifically to record this. (laughs) But yeah, so, um, and you'll be publishing those We're recording from Cannes. Yeah. (laughs) We did say... I don't know why we ordered Domino's when there's all this great food. (laughs) But it's great on the beach. Um, We did, uh, yeah, we did vow at one stage we would go to Cannes. Not, Not the film festival. Just we record on the beach in oh, Cannes, yeah, probably yeah. off season, just so we can say we did it. Um, but yeah, so you'll be doing um, interviews and yeah, for, I work at the Saturday paper, and so I'm going to be publishing some interviews with them with talent around Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is amazing. We're really looking forward to that. Yes, me yeah. too. And uh, and Jim Jarmusch to talk about. Oh, and he's talking about the zombie movie. Is, yes. it, is it open? It's not open. No, it's, it's opening. It's opening can. Yeah. yeah. Um, this yeah, is so he did die. like uh, Only Lovers After Live, which is a vampire oh, film, but he's Jim doing Jarmusch. A, yeah, but he's yeah, doing no, a zombie. I've seen like Wittgenstein and yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. Starring Bill Murray as well, his yes. second sort of zombie offbeat comedy. And 
the Jim Jim Jarmusch as well. He um, he did that. Uh, oh, sorry, Broken sorry. Flowers and stuff like that as well. With yeah, Marianne he had that at the Ghost um, Dog Way of the Samurai. Ghost Dog, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, right. I don't know why it was so important that I remember that. <laughs> I think in terms of Jim Jarmusch genre films, I thought in terms of Jim Jarmusch, like it was very different to other Jim Jarmusch movies I'd seen. Yeah. Uh, but again, mm. he, he does these wonderful things with John. I'm very, very excited to see that. I'm quite curious to hear what you make of it. Same. And Bong, Bong Joon-ho as well. Oh, yeah. And he's cool. talking about Parasite, his new movie. Oh, nice. Ooh. So, yeah. Good times. Right. All right. Uh, Andrew, if you could recommend something for listeners, or if there's something you're enjoying at the moment. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, Put I, you on the spot. I feel, I feel like I probably thought of something earlier that I've now forgotten. So, um, uh, go... Um, uh, Go buy Darren's um, Nolan book. Uh, before it's pulp. Before it's pulp. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan sitting there at his typewriter it's going, much... I'm feeling five emotions at this moment in time. It's much better on your coffee table when it's intact. <laughs> As opposed mm. to having to stitch it back together with exactly, yeah. Um What I would recommend for listeners myself is I really I really like Missing Link, which is the Leica uh, movie, which is a, a stop motion sort of uh, Bigfoot movie. It's a much more family friendly movie than Mary and Max. It's not quite as good. And it's probably not as good as their previous film, which is Kobu of the Two Strings, the much yes, less mature movie. amazing film. Uh, it's an absolutely lovely film, that one. Um, but Missing Link is a bit more immature, a bit more playful. It's got this, it's, it's what I call a map movie. It's got this, like, I think Joe, who's one of our guests, Joe Griffin, has described it as an Abbott and Costello movie, to a certain extent, where, where Abbott is a Bigfoot. Yes, um, right. And I, I, I would compare it to something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where there's a lot of travelling by map, whether by train or by plane, which is fantastic. And mm, I, yes. I really like that sort Same. of, like, pulpy vibe. I have a recommendation. Um, if you like this, uh, you might like uh, Persepolis. It's, 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 it's a few years old now. Yeah. But, um, and another yeah. Best Animated Picture nominee as well, I think. Correct. As well. Yeah. Mm. I think it's around the same time, isn't it? It's it would probably be 2008 or so. Yeah, 2007. Yeah. Mm. Um, and sort of a harbinger of like um, new wave of Iranian cinema, I think. Yeah, well. good like, points. Yeah. Um, all right, so that I think wraps it up. <clears throat> we'll be back next week where we'll have um, we'll have Graham Day and Breed Martin who'll be joining us to discuss uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, mm. uh, End of Evangelion, which is a new entry on the list, which we're quite curious to check out. I'm excited to see if it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we have not watched any of this going into it, so it's going to be quite the ride. It's the culmination of a 26-episode uh, We never record series. episodes out of sequence. No, never. Um, so Andrew's experience will be completely fresh going in. We'll be back next week. Take it easy. Thanks very much for joining us again, Andy. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much for having me. Andy. Uh, Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.